Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm moving, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. Pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody welcome. Hello and welcome to Shore 583. I am your toast, host, toast. Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. Hope everyone is fine and dandy. It is a glorious morning outside. It's got a chill there. It's got a bit of a bite, a bit of a kick. But it's blue sky and white clouds, and it looks absolutely lovely. So, hope your day looks as good as mine. So, we will get in, this time, to the main fiction straight away. No messing, because it is Fantastic. Originally published in Infinity Wars, the story is Heavies by Rich Larson. Rich Larson was born in Gallimy, I think that's how you pronounce it, in Niger, and has studied in Rhode Island and worked in the south of Spain and now lives in Ottawa, Canada. His work has appeared in numerous years' best anthologies and became translated into Chinese, Vietnamese, Polish, Czech, French and Italian. His debut novel... Annex came out from Orbit Books in July 2018 and his debut collection Tomorrow Factory followed in October 2018 from Talos Press. He enjoys travelling, learning languages, playing soccer and watching basketball, shooting pool and dance, dancing kizimboa. If that's, if that's how you do it, how you see it. And we have actually played as well Rich's stories on on Starship Sofa, and it's an honour to have him back on as well. Now, this story is narrated by Robert A.K. Gonyo. Robert A.K. Gonyo is a theatre director, actor, podcaster, sound designer, voiceover artist, musician, and tour guide residing in Queens, New York. He is the producer of Go See a Show, New York City's independent theatre podcast, and there's a link there, go see a show, podcast.com, as well as producer of Apparitions, a podcast of new radio horror plays. And there's a link to there to Robert's site as well. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Heavies by Rich Larson. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Heavies don't know about this place, says Rude. She looks back at him over her bony shoulder and smiles in the colonist way, squinting her eyes and curling the very edges of her lips. Maybe you're the first? Dexter lets his rucksack slide to the ground as he takes his first look at the pool. Shockingly clear blue-green water, smooth gray stone shot through with veins of some paler mineral, the promised cascade splashing and foaming at the far end of this natural hollow. He's still not used to how the water moves in lower gravity, how it ripples higher and flings further. It's beautiful. That and Rude's smile make his heart speed up a beat. He smiles back at her. I'd like that very much, Rude. He wedges his rucksack under a rock to shield it from the steady patter of warm morning rain, then strips down and bundles his clothes inside. Rude is watching him when he straightens up. Can those get wet? She asks, pointing her chin at the haptic implants crisscrossing his body like a net of chrome-colored scars. Her warbling voice has a hint of suggestion that makes Dexter flush. Her deep, black eyes are no longer on his implants. She's already told him how his body fascinates her with its dense bone and thick muscle. Waterproof, fireproof, he says. More or less indestructible. I imagine they'll outlast me by a couple centuries. Rude's eyebrows flash. So someone will find all your machinery buried in the ground and think you were a very small rotorboat? Dexter laughs, giving her a clumsier version of the approving colonist hand flutter. You're clever, Rude. But no, the Corps will extract the haptics when I die. For reuse. Rude shudders. Heavies, she says as if it's explanation enough, then undoes her shift. The fabric sinks and pools at her feet, and she steps out of it naked. She's a head taller than him, all limbs, with bony, narrow hips and small breasts. Dexter keeps his gaze on her face. High cheekbones, metallic wisp of a nose ring, smirking lips stained violet, and eyes black as pitch. She wades into the water, Dexter watches the bare architecture of her shoulder blades, the shape of her spine. When he was reassigned here, his unit joked about the local women, how you might as well be fucking a stick insect. Dexter thinks Rude is the most beautiful person he's ever seen. He blinks hard twice to switch off his optics, something he would have never done even a week ago. His commission is to serve as the eyes and ears of the Combine here but he doesn't want them to see Rude the way he's seeing her now. A few hours' gap in footage can be written off as transfer error. He's the only one watching as Rude slips into the deepening water. While he was still doing his research in orbit, he read how the colonists were tailored to their world. Not only to the low gravity, but to the seas as well, to the abundance of water that drew probes here even before the moons were found to be bursting with ore. Watching Rude swim is proof. She moves like a scalpel, slicing under the surface and zipping along the bottom of the pool. Then she powers upward, legs thrashing, and erupts from the water in a geyser of foam. Cold spray lances across Dexter's face. When he opens his eyes, Rude is halfway up the cascade laughing, clinging to the rocks with one hand and reaching her other 
into the falling water. Her dark hair is slicked to her neck. Come on, soldier, she calls. This is only the little pool. The better one is further back. Dexter sloshes forward, feeling a distant buzz as the water hits his implants. It's cold, much colder than the warm rain or muggy air, and when he plunges under it, shocks the breath out of him. The pool deepens fast, and he dives for the bottom, scraping his belly along the gradient. He coils against the stone and explodes. The dolphin kick carries him clear out of the water, into the air, up the cascade. His augmented grip is enough to gain purchase on the slippery rock, but he still takes Rude's offered hand. Together, they scramble up and over the lip to the next pool. It's not empty. Two colonists are drifting in the water, their long, bony legs interlaced. For a moment, Dexter feels the old trepidation. They can see his implants. They know who he is and why he's here. And the fact that he's with Rude might make it even worse. Then they blink their inky eyes. They smile, and one of the men raises his hand in a slow wave. Dexter waves back. In his two months here, he's yet to see a colonist angry. How could they be, living in paradise? As Rude leads him to the next cascade, showing him where branches full of a small, lumpy citrus sag low enough to pick, he finds it hard to believe the rebellion ever happened. Hard to believe he's needed here at all. The corpse on the analysis pad has a bloated purple face, cable marks carved deep into the neck and shit smeared down one leg. Dexter walks a slow circle around it, holding a mask over his mouth and nose. His implants interact with the scan, showing him estimated time of death, blood work, body composition, while the mortician and detective shift nervously behind him. Part of Dexter wants to reassure them, but he knows they have reason to be nervous. The corpse on the pad is not a slender, long-limbed colonist. It's an earther, identified by blood work as Ansel Ananabi, a mining foreman on leave from the moons and now the first expat murdered here in a half-century. I understand the perpetrator is in custody, Dexter says. I would like to see him, please. The detective nods his pattern-shaved head towards the door, lips pursed. Dexter can see sweat patches blooming under his arms. He hands the mortician his mask, trying to smile with only the very corners of his mouth, and follows the detective to the holding cells. He stops briefly to pump a battered dispenser for hand wipes. Only half the bio-lights on the ceiling wink open as they walk in. Behind scratched-up plastic, the holding cell's lone occupant is hunched in the corner, as far as possible from a crusted-over pool of vomit. He's holding his head between his hands, one of which is stained red. He says he doesn't remember. The detective's basic is more thickly accented than Rude's, turning the sibilance into a hiss. Dexter pulls up the file tagged with the perpetrator's smiling face. I'd like to speak with Panya alone, please, he says. The detective hesitates for a moment, looking at the huddled perp, then at Dexter, at the haptics webbing his bare arms. He swipes a finger along the cracked screen of his tab, and a hole opens in the holding cell's plastic shell. Dexter climbs through, careful not to catch his toe on the lip. The detective fidgets. He doesn't speak basic. Better to use the Babbletech. As he turns to leave, he scratches at his face in a way that conceals his mouth. The cam is off. Dexter pretends not to hear. Had he wanted to turn off the badly camouflaged cam in the back left corner of the cell, he could have done it himself without lifting a finger. As the detective leaves, he steps over the vomit and crouches facing the colonist. Not gotta worry. Dexter says. Panya says nothing. Dexter goes into his retinas, reviewing the incident footage spliced from eyewitnesses and bar insomnia's cams, 
watching Panya thread expertly between tables with Ansel's drink order, watching him hand it over, smiling, watching him drag a length of electric cable from underneath the hollow table and loop it around Ansel's thick neck, pulling it tight with a savage tug. Knock out a worry, Dexter says again, as Ansel's eyes cloud pink with burst blood vessels. This time, Panya replies, if woodenly. Nakaday. Dexter blinks the footage aside. He gives Panya a long look. Jorita Lumonka, he remarks, raising his own, wiggling his fingers. Panya looks down at the scabbed-over welt on his hand as if noticing it for the first time. Dexter offers him a wipe, and when he takes it, he finally meets Dexter's eyes. His face is scrawled with desperation. He starts to babble, colonist patois coming fast and thick, too much for Dexter to make sense of it. Nalentis na, he says, but Panya only speaks faster. Slightly annoyed, Dexter activates his babble tech. Mean to do it, but I felt so strongly, and I had to do it, but you know I would never, you know, I would never do that type of thing I did. My own hands, fuck, fuck, I see fuck. Did he do something to make you angry, Panya? Dexter asks. I don't know, Panya weeps. I can't remember. All I know, you know, is I felt so much, so sudden, and then I used my own hands and... Dexter waits for Panya to trail off. The scans showed no drugs in Panya's system, no irregular brain activity. Dexter has his own theory, and for a moment, he wishes he could switch off his optics and aurals, speak freely. Instead, he speaks carefully. I know what some of the miners are like, Panya. They come here on gravity leave with more money than they know what to do with. They act like they own this place. They act like they can do whatever they want, fuck whoever they want. It would be understandable, Panya, if that made you feel angry. Panya shakes his head fiercely, spackling snot across Dexter's knees. I love the heavies. I love you all. He starts to weep again and says nothing more until Dexter finally departs. Outside, the streets bathe in afternoon sun. Dexter's haptics sing with warmth as they convert the solar energy. Yesterday's rain clouds have moved on. One of the moons is partially visible overhead, dissolving in the hot blue sky. A soft breeze comes in off the water and scrubs the scent of the corpse and the holding cells from Dexter's nostrils. He starts the walk back to his rented house. A pack of small, gangly children race past, chasing an ad drone. It has ribbons of scrap cloth tacked to its shell, and they are laughing, trying to stick another on. Heavy, some of them shout. Dexter, hello! Dexter gives them a distracted wave as he walks past the rows of stucco-thick buildings, smelling the spices of street-side vendors, hearing the first quivering notes from a metal-stringed guitar. The dim hallways of the police station seem like another world entirely incongruous. But when he stops at his usual shop and buys two krill-stuffed rolls, the vendor hands him the grease-blotted paper bag quickly, clumsily, with a nervous smile. News moves quickly in the colony. Dexter double-taps his finger on the payment screen and gives an extra ten percent. Thank you, the vendor says. Her voice trembles. I think he must have been sick in the head. Very sick. There's nothing to worry about. Dexter says. We'll sort it out soon. She nods. The house the Combine had built for him is at the edge of the town, up a slope overgrown with blue-green weeds that ripple in the wind. Someone offered him a buzz knife so he could trim them back, but he declined. He likes the feel of them brushing his shins. The house itself is small, squat, square. Its burnt pink walls and roof were fabbed whole and then bonded together with an enzyme paste. The door is dark blue. Dexter painted it to match the ones in the town. 
Wires trail from the solar membrane coating the roof, snaking away to a rusty battery behind the house and to the needle-cast equipment he uses to send his reports. The transmitter spikes up tall into the sky, shivering slightly in the breeze, turning one way and then the other. The Combine will want to know everything about Ansel's murder and about his murderer. It's been 55 years now since the rebellion was put down, since the colony resigned their claim to the moons and to a militia, and the Combine lightened their yoke of economic policies in return. One death won't endanger half a century of tranquility. It won't be more than a blip. But Dexter still feels unease as he pings his door open and walks inside. His haptics flash him a teeth-aching proximity warning a split second before someone rushes him from the shadows, clamping long, bony arms around his chest, squeezing tight. You're awake. Rude moves her grip lower to his hips. You're clever, Dexter. She drags her fingers across his crotch, then takes the paper bag from his hand. Yes, and I'm hungry. When she kisses him, her mouth still tastes like last night's sickly sweet liquor. Dexter's heart beats hard, but he pulls back. I need to make my report, he says. Give me a moment, please, Rude. She shrugs in the colonist way, lips pursed, palms up, and goes to the kitchen. Dexter listens to the crockery clatter as he runs his tongue over his teeth. He knows last night was an error in judgment. The Combine discourages any sexual or romantic relationships with the locals. But after he and Rude spent all day at the Cascades, they drank a jug of anise in the red biolite glow of a beachside tavern. Then they kicked through the warm surf with the moons overhead, laughing about nothing, fucked once in the water and again at the house. When the call from the police station rattled through that morning, Dexter's implants had to work double-quick to purge the alcohol from his bloodstream. He feels a migraine looming now as he unlocks the screeching metal door to the storage room. The space is bare, apart from the needle-cast equipment. Once the door is shut behind him, he plugs a direct line into one of the ports under his ribs. Barbed wire spools through his body for a split second, then the pain is replaced by a crackling numbness. The composite face of a core AI appears. Good morning, Sergeant. You're making this report 38 hours in advance of schedule. Is there a problem? Dexter ignores it. He doesn't like speaking to AIs. Instead, he dumps all the recordings from his optics and aurals into the needle cast, feeling the data rush through him like foam. Just a moment. The AI blinks to show it's analyzing the input and makes no mention of the gaps. It looks like Ansel Ananabi, full citizen of the Earth Combine, was killed at 0313 hours by a colonist with no prior history of violence. Would you confirm that? Confirmed, Dexter says. I want to speak to my commanding officer. Sergeant, the Combine is redeploying a combat satellite to your location. For now, your orders are to carry on as normal. Dexter clenches his teeth. I want to speak to my commanding officer, he repeats. A combat satellite will cause panic. This was an isolated incident with no political motivation. The redeployment will be tagged as maintenance work. Stay alert, Sergeant. The face dissolves. Dexter unhooks himself. The needle casts are always kept brief. Instantaneity is costly but now he wishes he hadn't reported at all. Whatever higher-ups decided to bring in the combat satellite have probably never set foot here in their lives. They don't understand this place or these people. One murder won't jeopardize a half-century of peace, but a military overreaction might. He drags up the case file again. Panya worked out on the spits a ring of tiny islands loaded with dopamine bars and discos and skin shows, the place most miners go for their gravity leave. Dexter maps the distance from the mainland. 
In the kitchen, Rude is pouring two steaming cups of the bitter tea Dexter is still learning to enjoy. He takes one and sits down. You said you worked tonight, isn't that right, Rude? She slides in across from him, chewing a mouthful of roll. Why? Something happened late last night, Dexter says carefully. On one of the islands. I'd like to go out there tonight and speak with a few people. Rude sticks out her tongue, stuck with crumbs. Or maybe you want to see a show. When Dexter doesn't smile, she swallows. What happened then? Rude will know soon enough. Her little wraparound phone skittered under the bed when she dropped it last night, but Dexter can feel its electronic signature receiving more and more messages. An earther was murdered, Dexter says. Bar insomnia. Rude's eyebrows flash. She doesn't speak for a moment, then, voice slightly frayed, I can drop you on my way. I'd like that very much, Rude. She swirls her mug of tea, making the steam spiral. By the time they get out to the spits, the sun is sinking into the sea. Dexter watches it, recording the fiery patina of orange and purple. But Rude's gaze stays fixed ahead. She spoke for the first part of the boat ride, in circles about how some people reacted strangely to hallucinogens, and maybe the scanners had missed something in the Panya's bloodstream, but eventually fell silent. Now her hand is welded tight to the tiller, maneuvering them around a spiny hump of coral as they approach the shore. A stiff wind has kicked up over the past hour, chopping the waves. Dexter's tailbone is sore from when he slammed against the metal bench. Rude cuts the engine, and they slosh in. A row of cabins stretches down one side of the beach, perched on spindly legs that telescope with the tide. Further in, garish swirls of hologram and biolite shimmer through the dusk. But there's no music, no colonist guitars, and no procedurally generated beat pop pirated from needle casts. The only sound is the wind and waves. The prow of the skiff crunches on sand. Dexter swings himself out. He tried to contact Bar Insomnia's owner on the way over, but got only static. Not uncommon with the relay buoys in disrepair. He tries again now and receives the same phantom hiss. Premonition churns his stomach. Look, Rude says. Nobody moored those boats. She points, and Dexter sees two untethered rotor boats drifting away in the waves, one scraping on coral. And where are all the others? For the first time in a long time, Dexter feels the absence of the sidearm that used to hang at his hip. Rude wipes a crust of salt from the screen of her phone and frowns down at it. No feed, either. Something's wrong. You're right. Dexter says. He upshifts his optics and peers into the growing gloom. Down the beach, he sees someone kneeling in the sand. I'm not leaving you here, Rude says. Her black eyes are wide and shiny. Please don't, but I need to investigate this situation, Rude. Rude nods, lips pursed, and drops the sand spike. Its carbon fiber line slithers and snaps taut tethering them to the beach. She balances herself on Dexter's shoulder while she collects her bag, then springs easily out of the boat. I'm sticking close to the soldier then, she says. Any bits of you bulletproof? Very small bits, Dexter says. He tries to smile at her, but doesn't quite manage it. The old combat adrenaline is coming back. His nerves feel serrated with it. Rude follows a half-step behind him as he walks toward the kneeling figure. Back turned, bony shoulder blades rising like dorsal fins. A colonist. When Dexter gets close enough, his arls pick up muttering. He switches on his babble tech. Just beautiful, and then the moonlight comes? Oh, yes, beautiful, perfect, and exquisite. Dexter's bare skin grows goosebumps. Over the colonist's bent head, he can see a tiny body splayed in the sand. 
The little boy's discolored lips are the same hue as the bruises around his neck. Not many earthers bring their families here, but there are always a few. Rude sees what he sees, and her breath sharpens. She curses in patois with enough creativity that his babbletech only catches half of it. Put your hands behind your head, Dexter says. His voice comes out so ragged he hardly recognizes it. Then get up. The colonist startles. He scrambles in a little circle in the sand, turning to face him. His mouth fishes open and shut. Slowly, slowly, he puts both hands behind his head. He gets up. What did you do? Rude's translated voice demands. What the fuck did you do? The colonist looks down at the child's body. A tremor goes through him. I don't know, he says. I don't know. I just wanted... Dexter opens up his heat sensors and finds the boy's parents a little further along the beach, half buried in the sand, corpses cooling fast and gouged with knife marks. He pushes his optics to the limit and sees an arm dangling out from a cabin door, fingers stiffening in rigor mortis. And he knows, with sick certainty, that there will be more bodies in the other cabins, in the bars, in the water, all of them heavy. His mind reels. The Combine tasked him with scouring the colony for signs of any covert cells, any traces of resistance or even lingering resentment. He'd looked for it, expected it, and he'd found nothing at all. No indication of an invisible rage, contained but simmering for half a century and now finally boiling over. It doesn't seem possible. Who coordinated this? he demands. Who ordered this? The colonist makes a keening noise in the back of his throat. He reaches one hand towards Dexter, fingers splayed. Dexter snatches it out of the air. For the first time, it occurs to him that he could snap the colonist's delicate bones with a squeeze. He's strong here in the low gravity. Horribly strong. He lets go. Where is everyone? The colonist shakes his head. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Then he springs, reaching for Dexter's throat, and before Dexter can shove him away, something crackles through the air. The colonist seizes, collapses. Smell of burnt hair and ozone. Dexter turns and sees the spiky barrel of a compact stunner. Rude's mouth is twisted downward, her brows knit together. For a wild moment, he thinks she'll shoot him next. I want to get out of here. She rubs at her face, exhales. Fuck. Dexter already suspects where the others are, the ones who use the knives. They've gone to the other islands to keep killing. He looks at Rude like she might be able to explain, the same way she explains hand gestures and sayings and how to eat certain foods. She carefully returns the stunner to her bag, then bends over and vomits. Everyone's going crazy, she breathes, wiping her mouth with a shaking hand. He's crazy. Panya, him too, fucking crazy. How? Dexter remembers the satellite redeployment he mistook for paranoia. The Combine knew something was going to happen. Knew and told him nothing. I need to get to a needle cast, he says. There's one on the main island, isn't there? On Dosa. Rude nods. They hurry back to the boat without speaking. She stops once, trying to throw up again, but only gets bile. There might be survivors further inland. The thought jars him, but there's no time to look. He steadies the boat while Rude clambers in, then follows after her, hauling the sand spike out by hand. The wind is stronger now, slewing them sideways. When the engine starts, it churns up clouds of silt, now that the last sliver of sun has slipped under the waves, the water is black as pitch. They only get a few meters back from the beach before the engine takes water, sputters, and cuts out. Rude curses. They're adrift, current carrying them parallel to the beach, 
toward the rotor boat caught on coral and back toward the bodies. Dexter thinks, distantly, that the colonist left sprawled on the sand will drown if he doesn't wake up before the high tide. But when he looks, the colonist is gone. A proximity warning shivers through his teeth. Then the colonist erupts from the dark, leaping over Rude's head, black eyes winched wide. Dexter sidesteps, but a trailing leg hooks him. They slam against the boat bottom in a mess of limbs. The colonist's skin is slick, impossible to grip. Long hands reach for his throat again. Dexter hears Rude's muffled voice cry a warning just before a wave breaks over them, blinding him with foam. It dumps him over the edge with the colonist still clinging tight. Bubbles stream past Dexter's face as they pinwheel underwater. His chest tightens. He can hear the colonist's distorted voice in his ear, screaming. He finally gets a grip on the skinny arm wrapping his neck. For a moment it feels like Rude's. Then he gives a savage twist and feels the bone crack, feels the colonist spasm. Dexter sheds him and kicks his way to the surface. He comes up gasping. The boat is only a meter away, Rude shouting for him. He reaches her with two hard strokes and slops over the side. Rude keys the engine, and this time it catches. As they bounce away from the beach, Dexter sees the colonist's head emerge from the water to watch them leave. His mouth is open and wailing. Dexter's aurals can't pick it up through the wind and the coughing engine, but he heard it already when they were in the water, heard it once when Rude thought he was already asleep. Lubiska, Lubiska, I love you, I love you. Dosa is in chaos when they arrive. A blaring emergency siren carries on the wind, and Dexter can hear screaming beneath it. Rude's hand is shaking as she steers them toward the long metal pier that juts out from the shore. Dark figures rush back and forth on the dock. One dives into the water, with barely a ripple. I want you to be safe, Rude, Dexter says. I should go alone from here. Rude taps the handle of her stunner. I'm coming. My uncle is here on Dosa. The needlecast tower is visible in the distance, rising up over the squat, stucco houses and fabbed admin buildings. Electric blue guide lights scale its length. It looks like a beacon. As soon as they're alongside the pier, Rude swings up and out, and Dexter follows. They lope up the docks. Rude's phone glows bright white as it calls her uncle over and over. Someone sweeps past them in the dark, too short to be a colonist. Get the fuck out of here, man! They're killing people back there! Dexter ignores the warning. The tumult of screaming voices peaks as they reach the main street. Battered solar lamps light the nightmare in pale yellow. Chaos. Groups of colonists with stunners protecting panicked earthers from attackers with buzz knives and fishing spears. Armed miners barricaded behind an overturned transport, firing into the crowd. Dexter sees a colonist furtively shepherding an earther away from the violence into an alleyway, suddenly turn on her, picking up a broken bottle and slashing her across the face. He rips the stunner away from Rude's slack grip and fires twice. The colonist falls. But his action drew eyes and now a swarm is coming toward him, all of them armed. They don't seem to even see Rude. Dexter drops the two closest of them, and then the stunner's battery is spent. Rude scrambles it back from him, squeezing the trigger to no effect. They run. Dexter does what he can, reaching with his haptics to switch off the swinging buzz knives, but one still slices his elbow open on the way by. He commandeers an ad drone overhead to get a better view of things. The violence is spilling over onto the beach, colonists hunting down drunk and clumsy earthers, clashing with their protectors. He nearly loses Rude twice in the fracas, but when he reaches the needlecast tower, she's only steps behind him, holding her side, panting for air. Dexter seizes both door handles and pulls. Locked. 
pursuers are hurtling toward the tower now, coming from all sides. He overrides the lock and hauls one door open. Rude scrambles through. Dexter slips in after her and slams it shut just as a colonist fires his fishing spear. The barbed projectile thunks against the door and clings there. Dexter activates the lock, heart pounding against his ribs. We made it, Rude swallows. I think I saw him, Dexter. My uncle. I think my uncle had a knife. She wraps her arms around his waist, and he knows there's no time but he lets her, just for a second. Dexter. Dexter, I just want... I want... Her hand moves up to his face, stroking his cheek. When he tries to pull away, she won't let him. Her fingers move under his jaw, to his throat, and dig in. Dexter shoves her away. Her wide, black eyes are glittering, and her face is drenched in sweat. I took you to the Cascades, remember, and it was only the two of us in that last pool? She murmurs, slipping between patois and basic. Oh, I want to go back there with you. I want to drown you there, hold you close and tight so you can't breathe at all, not at all. You have what they have, Rude, Dexter says, his voice cracking. You're sick. Please, stay away. He sees the spiraling metal staircase leading up to the needle cast, but makes barely a half step before Rude leaps at him, clawing at his back. Dexter shakes her off. I'm sorry, he says, seizing her ankle. I'm sorry about this, Rude. He twists. When he gets to the needle cast room, Dexter slams the door behind him. He took the stairs at a dead sprint, with Rude crawling after him cursing at him and pleading with him at the same time. He feels sick in the pit of his stomach as he turns the lock. It takes two tries to jack in. His hands are trembling. He feeds it the combine needle cast codes, then starts dumping the data over, the raving colonists, the bedlam, the bodies. The AI's face jitters, half-formed. This is an emergency, Dexter says. Mass psychosis. Wide-scale attacks on Combine citizens. Casualties climbing. I need to know what's going on. Programming error, the AI says. Let me talk to a fucking human, then. You are, Sergeant. This is Commanding Officer Markinen. The AI's face reforms into one Dexter remembers vaguely from his earliest briefings. Deep wrinkles. Hard eyes. And this is the programming error I'm referring to. A surge of data comes back across the needle cast. Dexter's eyelids thrum as once-restricted files splash open, encryptions laid bare, and he begins to understand. The colonists were modified to match their world, and after the rebellion, the next generation was modified another way. Not only by combine propaganda and sponsored schools, something deeper, grown into the limbic system. A feeling on feedback loop. A feeling about the heavies. No models predicted it would make this sort of leap, the officer says. High positive affect, approach aggression, reorientation. It's working, but it's working too well. But simply, they love us to death. Dexter thinks of the colonist kneeling over the child's corpse, Panya weeping in the holding cell. He thinks of Rude leading him up the cascade, her eyes fixed on him so intently, her body so attuned to his. Despair hits him so hard he can't stand. He sinks to his knees in front of the interface. He hears Rude slamming her palms against the door, begging him. Then this is all because of the Combine, he says. Because you went into their brains and twisted them. In a flash of anger, he snaps up the restricted files, packaging them for transmission, however far the needle cast can scatter them. Everyone will know what the Combine has done here. But the files are gone again, flitting out of reach. You're our eyes and ears, Sergeant, the officer says. Not a mouth. 
We will contain this error before it spreads quickly and quietly. Another fifty years of peace is worth some casualties. Through the needle cast, through his implants, Dexter can feel the combat satellite winging through the night, nearly in targeting range. Not all affected colonists need to be eliminated, the officer says. Only those posing an immediate threat to Combine citizens. But the satellite's targeting systems aren't as discerning as they could be. For instance, it'll see the colonist currently trying to gain access to your position as a combatant. Rude hammers on the door again, still calling his name. Dexter's breath sticks in his lungs. Don't think you've operated a combat satellite in quite some time, but from your records, it looks like you had a touch for it. The officer's face is expressionless. You can make sure there's no unnecessary bloodshed. He disappears. Through the needle cast, Dexter feels the satellite ping him. Once. Again. With an ache in his chest, he finally accepts it, rising bodiless up into the sky. The satellite's sensors paint the island in grayscale. They tag the colonists a glowing red. Everything so simple. Far away, Dexter's fists clench and unclench in his lap. He finds his first target and fires. And there you go. What a story. Thank you so much. Rich, thank you so much indeed. That was just fantastic. Like I say, it was originally published in Infinity Wars. And Robert, what can I say? A huge thank you, Robert. That was awesome. Thank you so much indeed. Lovely. Come back. <laughs> That's all we're asking. Come back. So that is Starship's Over. 583, 583, man, get away, put to bed. If you've liked it, honestly, do me a favour and support Starships over on Patreon. That would be an honour. It gets a stressful time. See, I've been doing it 13 years by the goodwill of you, all yous out there, and it would be an honour to kind of have yous on Patreon, or even just like a one-time donation. That would help as well. Right then, look after yourselves. Until next week, take good care. Just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.
I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.